Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. Our other car is a skeletal chariot. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show, it's GJ, and today we are going to talk about Undead and Tomb King Chariots. And the reason for this is that they were more or less announced in a recent article by Games Workshop about the old world. So let's address that first. This Friday, last Friday, on the Warhammer community website an article came out with some old world concept art. Now it was announced already in last Sunday's preview and we had to wait all week until Friday and I must say when I read this I was a little bit underwhelmed. I had expected a little bit more from it. They, they've been silent on this project for almost half a year. Uh, Andy Hoare, he is the uh, project manager, I believe, of the old world. He said that, well, just because we've been quiet, it just means that behind the scenes we've been working very hard on this. Uh, I, I have to take them at their word. I don't know anything about that. It's just that what we get in this article is a drawing of a Bretonian archer, a drawing of a Bretonian knight, an orc boar boy, and a tomb king's chariot. That's just about it. We also get a map, and I did try to take a look at that map. There are some things that I can see and recognize. I believe also some things that we've touched upon earlier, such as that there are some wood elf symbols not only in Athaloran but also in the Empire and also in the middle of Bretonia. But other than that, I, I have not compared this map to the maps we already had, but I don't think there are many new things on here. Uh, I do see some orc and goblin symbols in the World's Edge Mountains, but well, we had already sort of been made aware that there would be orcs and goblins over there. So yeah, this is um, a little bit underwhelming. It, it is comforting to see that we have some artwork that matches the miniatures that we know and in most cases I guess also love. And for me this is made most evident with the Tomb King's Chariot. The drawing for that looks exactly like the miniatures that you could get in the plastic boxes uh, where you had three chariots to a regiment. You could also get them in the battalion box they were included. Um, the only thing of difference that I spot is that the rider of the chariot is uh, shooting a bow whereas the miniature uh, at least the sprues of the miniature, they didn't come with bows, they came with uh, spears, different kinds of spears, the regular ones, um, which looked more like javelins. And they also had these longer spears that you had to use two hands for with a, with a curved blade, slightly resembling the one that is at the front of the chariot, also, also a curved blade, a curved side. 
and uh, those I believe were the ones that you gave to the champion. Now these chariots you could also outfit with bows, uh, the skeleton archers they could fire bows in game. There was a bow included in the um, in the in the quiver that you could put to the side of the chariot uh, if you wanted to make a skeleton archer holding a bow firing a bow on the chariot you could simply give him one from the regular skeleton warriors or skeleton archer kits uh, they probably had enough bows there now if I look at the other artwork we have here, the Bretonian Peasant Archer, the Bretonian Knight, they look as similar as I can imagine them to be to the 6th edition miniatures, the plastic regiment kits for the Knights and for the uh, Peasant Archers. We only get to see a single Archer here. He is uh, not standing behind any stakes or so. He does have some arrows plucked into the ground, which is reminiscent of the monopose plastic archers, at least one of the two monopose plastic archers you got in 5th edition. So I don't know if that's a, a nice nod uh, or if they were also included in the kit. I started playing Bretonians only after the old world had already ended. And seeing as how these are some very expensive miniatures at the moment, I never really invested in the newer archers. I just got the 5th edition plastics, which I think are a joy to paint. I think that of most of these monopose miniatures, there's something just really cathartic about painting monopose archers or, or high elf spearmen or whatever. The orc we see here, uh, the orc boy, boy, it reminds me most of the 8th edition plastic boar boy kits that I believe are still available for the uh, Age of Sigmar. I'm not quite sure about that, but these are the very big boars. Uh, the orcs looks rather small compared to the boar. It is a very nice piece of artwork. Uh, you can you can really see the energy and the the um, fierceness, the brutality coming off of it. I'm not much of an art critic, but I do like this artwork. Uh, I also like the skeletal chariot one. That's really well done. It's it's. Uh, you get the essence of speed in there, the, the, the uh, chariot, the horses are racing towards you. Um, the Bretonian artwork, the archer is a little bit more static. There's not much you can do with him. Um, if I have to critique something about it, it is that he probably has his arrow on the wrong side of his bow. Uh, many people nowadays, now that archery has become sort of a sport and less a um, a weapon of war they knock their arrow on the left side of the bow so if you are left-handed uh, sorry if you're right-handed you hold the bow in your left hand and then you rest the arrow on the outside of the bow so that you can look over the arrow and see where it's going however i did an interview once uh, with someone who likes to play things like archery tag and he sort of reinvented and then studied some historical archery 
And he uh, said, well, probably people back in those days, you can see that also in medieval drawings, they knocked the arrow on the other side of the bow so that if you are left, have the bow in your left hand, you have the arrow sitting on the right hand side of the bow. And the reason for that is then you don't have to go around or through the bow and you can fire your arrows more rapidly, which in a battle situation um, would be a very welcome tactic. Now, I'm not sure if everybody used that. I think for precision, maybe they would have put the arrow on the other side for hunting. I don't know if that's the case all the time. Uh, I do know, however, that uh, if you are trained in this, and especially the English longbowmen, they were very well trained, they were able to shoot accurately even if you were not able to look straight over the arrow. Now, um, this is probably going way too far for a uh, Wargames podcast, something that you are here for. So let's leave this article for what it is. Let's hope that they will give us some more updates in the future. I would have also really liked it if they put in the map in a little bit higher resolution I have to zoom in now and then I cannot see, even if I click on it, open it in a new tab, I cannot really read what is written next to all the emblems. Um, I can only read most of the uh, sort of the bigger geographical names like uh, uh, like Bretonia and Lauren, uh, that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's... Uh, if I can give GW some suggestions, uh, those would be it. A little bit more information next time and get some higher resolution maps in there um, so that we can just pour over them, see if we can uncover any more hidden gems, details, Easter eggs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, because I, well, I do love these maps and I know that many fantasy players uh, fantasy readers also like them uh, i think they are one of the best parts in in many of the fantasy literature uh, just so that you can follow along what's happening where the characters are um, so yeah please give us these maps in a little bit higher detail well that is enough for the old world let's discuss some hobby I don't think really needs a hobby. A hobby's supposed to pass the time, not fill it. I did absolutely nothing, and it was everything that I thought it could be. I have been fortunate enough to have been doing some hobby stuff in this past week. I have been working on my Call of the Crown pledge, um, doing a, a unit of... Uh, well, it's, it's a beast herd, is what you call it, the 6th edition, a mixed unit of gorse and ungorse. Eight ungorse with spears I have on my painting table at the moment, as well as a um, beast lord, a, a borgor with a great weapon. I still have another 12 gorse with additional hand weapon lined up, as well as a shaman. And I should probably get started on them because, well, October is slowly dripping away. I'm also currently working for the other part of my Call of the Crown challenge on an ogre man-eater. 
This is the uh, lovely female man-eater model with the giant two-handed rolling pin uh, and, and uh, the false beard that she uh, uses to hide her identity. When I discussed the ogre man-eaters, I completely forgot to go into all the lovely miniatures they have for these man-eaters. I have been assembling them. I have all six different uh, varieties and there are two more that were special characters in 8th edition that are now also uh, sold as man-eater. These are uh, Golkvag and uh, Bragg the Gutsman. They are all very nice, very characterful models. You have, for example, a, a ninja ogre with a Cathayan longsword. I think that's what you have to use it as. Who is accompanied by a noblar doing some acrobatics with a uh, with a stick, like a quarterstaff. I would use it. Uh, in, I would call it in using D and D terms. You have a Arabian ogre, you have a paymaster ogre, you've got a pirate, you've got an empire ogre who is holding part of a stone hammer with a stone hand still grasping it that he either found or tore off of a statue of Sigma or Karl Franz possibly. Yeah, very nice models all in all. I feel like I'm forgetting one but um, can't think of it off the top of my head which one that is you're probably shouting at your audio devices right now so i do plan on painting one of these up each month and then for my uh, seventh month not the final one this challenge runs for eight months but for the seventh month i'm going to do um, greases gold tooth that gives me a nice uh, over 1000 points of ogres with only seven models it might be a little bit cheating but ogres were not represented yet in the challenge and i felt they needed to be in there as well however my main focus is the beastmen what i am also trying to work on or maybe should get working on is my pledge for the uh, wargames orchards october paint challenge the trick or treat challenge the problem is I have no idea what I want to do yet. I know it's going to be another zombie. I've set for myself the bar that I want to do zombie pirates uh, for these challenges. I just don't know yet what I want to do exactly. I have some ideas. I need to think about executing them and then I should really get to, to work to convert and start painting. And all of this time, during all of this time, I've also been busy with the organization of a 5th edition. Uh, I was going to say tournament, it's not a tournament, it's a, a mini campaign that we are going to do on the Dutch Oldhammer Day, the first Dutch Oldhammer event that we are going to hold this last Saturday of October. So if you are in or near the Netherlands and you want to join us, there is still room uh, drop me a message we can hook you up there's a, a page where you have to go to buy a ticket and it will be very lovely to see everybody there i hope i have plenty of time to get everything done but this is also the first time that i am organizing a campaign i don't know yet how this will be 
playing out, how this will be received, and I will probably get a lot of, let's say, feedback on this. And then maybe next time I can do a little bit better, I hope. Uh, let's just see if this works. I have all the rules for the campaign on my own personal hobby blog, which is GJ's Word gjsworkshop.wordpress.com uh, I've put it up there in two posts one of them is the general rules for the campaign and the other one is the scenarios that I plan to play um, that well that we plan to play I should say that I plan for everybody to play I hope that this will be as enjoyable as it is in my head uh, however I might be overthinking some things and uh, there's still some scenarios that I have to play test so the rules for those will probably change a little bit all right that's it for hobby for now we will dive into the topic that was triggered by the old world post tomb kings and undead chariots we begin our look in fourth edition in that lovely undead book in the undead book we have the rules for chariots these are listed under war machines because in fifth edition and fourth edition well at least for some armies chariots were war machines and for other armies chariots were in with the regiments uh, high elves for example undead chariots it is said that the warriors of the land that is now known as the kingdom of the dead rode into battle in mighty chariots, cunningly constructed to be incredibly light and strong. It is therefore no surprise that when Nagash rose up and overran that once proud land, countless undead chariots were at the forefront of his army. These chariots were a grim parody of those used by Nagash's opponents, constructed from bone and sinew held together by the power of dark magic. From that day on, the slow, creaking tread of the undead chariot wheels has struck terror into the hearts of many an opponent. The chariots rumble towards their quaking foe, slowly gathering speed until they are ready to charge into the ranks of the enemy with devastating effect. Cruelly barbed and spiked blades fitted to the wheels scythe through flesh and bones, causing death and destruction. Then the undead crew lay about the startled foe, cutting with rusty blades or ancient spears while the undead steeds that pull the chariots bite and stamp at the enemy. As always, these fluff texts are a little bit romanticized of what's happening in battle because the chariots that we have here are just, well, they're just skeletons in carts they don't really do all that much although if you have several of them uh, they can give cause some damage with their impact hits the undead chariot has a strength of five a toughness of five three wounds it has an initiative of one and it has d6 attacks which are the impact hits 
It is drawn by a regular skeletal steed with a movement of 8, weapon skill 2, ballista skill 0, strength and toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 2, 1 attack and leadership 5. The chariot has the following special rules. It is immune to psychology and it causes fear just like all undead do. In combat the chariots cannot be broken, they never take break tests, but when they are beaten they take an additional wound for every point the chariot loses combat by. You don't get an armor save and you randomly allocate the wounds using the hand-to-hand -hand combat chart. What is the hand-to-hand -hand combat chart? Well if you don't know or haven't played Hero Hammer in Hero Hammer, chariots were not counted as a single model. Well, they were a single model, but they had different parts to them. You had the crew, you had the creatures pulling them, and you had the chariot body itself. And each of these could be wounded separately. Fortunately, the rules for the chariots are summed up in the 4th edition Undead book. It says where you can find them, uh, it's on page 72-73 of the Warhammer rulebook, that's the 4th edition rulebook. In 5th edition it is a few pages on, I believe 75-76 or something like that. The summary is as follows. Chariots move individually in the same way as large monsters or characters. You can group your chariots together if they are all within 5 inch of each other. Uh, or at least one chariot within 5 inch of another chariot and so on. They may be counted as a loose unit and in that case you may have the leadership of the, the highest leadership of those chariots you can use. However there are not any other benefits. It's not as if they charge like a unit of chariots in the same way that the Tomb King's chariots would later on. Chariots move at the speed of the creature pulling it and uh, if you take a casualty the speed is reduced so if one of your horses gets shot the chariot only moves 4 inches and it can only charge 8 inches. There is a very real possibility of that happening. Chariots cannot move over obstacles or difficult ground and if they are forced to do so they suffer d6 strength 6 hits which is not very enjoyable for an undead chariot. The hand-to-hand um, -hand fighting chart and shooting fighting chart are a little bit different. If you shoot at the chariot and you hit, you have to randomize your hits. On a 1 you hit a crew, on a 2 to 3 the skeleton steed and on a 4 to 6 the chariot itself. In hand-to-hand -hand combat you also have to choose, you always fight at the highest weapon skill of the chariot crew, which as a regular skeleton is of course 2. And then the hit table is reversed, so on a 1 you hit the chariot body, on a 2 to 3 the skeleton steed and on a 4 to 6 you hit the crew. Should the crew be killed the chariot will move 2d6 up to its maximum speed in a random direction. And um, if you roll a double, it uh, crashes. A bit like a fanatic for the orcs and goblin players. Under chariots, they have their own profile, which is uh, different than the standard profile for chariots in the 
main rulebook. They also give you a profile for chariots, which is a little bit better, but well, undeck chariots are lighter and so also a little bit weaker. You can fight to all sides. The chariot itself does not fight except for the impact. It's d6 plus 1 per side. So if you have two sides, you do d6 plus 2 impact hits. Whereas in 6th edition and later, you only did plus 1 regardless of the number of sides outfitted on your chariot. You flee and pursue just like other troops, except that I believe since these are immune to psychology and cannot be broken in combat, this rule does not really apply here. And uh, any template attack, then each individual part of the chariot is treated as a separate target. So if you have a stone thrower lobbed onto the chariot, uh, then you have to roll once for the steeds, once for the chariot body and once for the crew, which might be very devastating as well. Your undead chariots are crewed by regular skeleton warriors. They have a movement of 4, web skill 2, ballistic skill 2, strength and toughness 3, 1 wound initiative 2, 1 attack and a leadership of 5. Your Undead Chariots cost 56 points per model. They are crewed by 2 Skeleton Warriors, so it's 40 points for the Chariots and 2 times 8 points for the Skeletons. The Skeletons have a sword or another type of hand weapon. The Chariot has no save. You can give it Light Armor for a cost of 2 points per model, the Chariot Crew that is. And the chariot crew can also have a shield at one point per model. You can arm your chariot crew with a bow for a cost of two points per model. You can have sighted wheels for plus 20 points per chariot. And one undead chariot may carry a magic standard that can be chosen from the regular magic banners. The, the ones that are allowed by the undead. Apart from the regular chariots that you can buy with the two skeleton crew, you can also mount any of your characters in a chariot and any of those chariots can have sighted wheels. You pay 40 or 60 points extra respectively. So you could, if you wanted to, have all of your vampires, tomb kings, whites, raids, necromancers, liches, all of them, even the battle center bearer in a chariot. I don't know why you would ever want to do that, especially since these chariots are, uh, you can only have 25% of your um, army made up of war machines, so you would still need to get uh, at least 25% of regular troops. I guess you could get some, um, some skeleton horsemen with the Doom Rider banner, some other uh, skeletal horsemen to do that but I don't know if that would make such a good army might be interesting to try out before we leave the hero hammer era we do have to take a look at the special tomb kings lists that was provided in white dwarf 227 the Tomb Kings list in this White Dwarf works a little bit differently from the um, Undead list that uh, we have seen in the 4th edition book. 
And the main reason for this is because the Tomb King and Tomb Lord, what would later be the Tomb Princess, the hero level Tomb King, they are uh, automatically assumed to be on chariots. The Tomb King and the Tomb Lord are... Uh, you can have a Tomb Lord on foot, not a Tomb King on foot. Tomb Kings always are on chariots. And this is represented in their profile. A Tomb King has a movement of 8 and a toughness of 6 and 5 wounds. He does 4 plus d3 attacks, where the d3 are the impact hits from the chariot. The same is true for the Tomb Lord, he also has a movement of 8, his uh, toughness is 5, one less than the Tomb King, and he does 3 plus d3 attacks. However, we also have regular champions. We have a, uh, sorry, regular chariots. I say this because I also take a look here at the skeleton champions section. And the charioteer champion is noted here. Charioteer champion has a weapon skill of 3, ballistic skill 3, strength and toughness 4, 3 wounds, initiative 3, 3 attacks, and a leadership of 5. And as you can see here with his uh, movement 8, I don't know if I forgot to mention that or not. He has a movement of 8 and this is also including the chariot. The chariot for the regular skeleton charioteers is also included in the profile. Movement 8, web skill 2, ballistic skill 2, strength and toughness 4, 3 wounds, initiative 2, 3 plus d3 attacks and an initiative of 5. Skeleton Chariots, they only have a single warrior and they fight in squadrons as in their special rules. So these are quite different from the other larger chariots that can be found in some armies. And they have their own special rules. The rules in the rulebook do not apply to them. They follow all the rules for undead as can be expected. And these chariots fight in units or squadrons. The size of a squadron can vary. If the army includes five or fewer chariots, these form a single squadron. If you're between six and ten chariots, they can form either one or two squadrons of as near equal size as possible. For 11 to 15, you can get one, two or three squadrons of equal size and so on. All the skeleton chariots in a squadron form up in a formation just like a regular unit of cavalry or infantry, so we are no longer in the loose unit. Note that this is quite different to other chariots which don't fight in formation. Skeleton chariots are quite small and they are used to fight in a similar way to cavalry. For these reasons, they maintain a regular base-to-base -base formation. The skeleton chariot, including its warrior, has a single profile and fights in all respects like a single creature with 3 attacks and 3 wounds. This is unlike other larger chariots and reflects the fact that the skeleton chariots are intended to fight in squadrons, where it is impractical to account for wounds on the horses, crews and chariots separately. You can see here where they were going for... Um, what would we what we would also get in later editions a single although split profile for the skeleton chariots uh, they are messing around here a bit with this is just a single line of stats and later they split it up again into chariots creatures and crew 
However, um, this is still a single model with uh, a, a fixed number of wounds and you don't get to divide your wounds anymore. These chariots are covered with crocodile hides and they give them a 4 plus save as if they had armor. And this can be increased by wearing more armor. Because these chariots are a little bit lighter, they automatically cause D3 impact hits. They give you plus 2 if you have sighted wheels. And the impact hits are the damage caused by the chariots and horses when they bash into the enemy formation. So this explains further how the impact hits worked. All of these hits are worked out using a strength value of 4. This is important to note. Your skeleton chariots in the Tomb Kings White Dwarf army list. They cost, uh, let's see here real quick, I have to scroll down a little bit. I uh, should have prepared this a little bit better of course. Uh, where are they? They are not on a war machine. Have I missed them? Here we are. Skeleton Charioteers. They cost 40 points. Each chariot crewed by a single charioteer with a hand weapon and a bow and two skeleton steeds. The charioteer may have javelins for 1 point, a spear for 1 point, light armor for 2 points, a shield for 1 point, asp arrows for 1 point and the asp arrow uh, I believe gives it an extra plus one to hit and your chariots may have sides for plus 20 points it has a four plus save but with light armor and shield this is increased to a two plus which is very respectable I think the best armor save a tomb king's chariot is ever going to get at least a regular chariot your unit of skeleton chariots can have a skeleton champion or a mummy champion and they can be armed in exactly the same way as the rest of the charioteers in the unit. The champion may carry one magic item and you can have a standard bearer and or a musician at the same cost as ordinary charioteers. Normally this is double the cost in hero hammer but since these are very expensive units you can have them basically for free. And your standard bearer may carry a magic standard. Now in that beautifully balanced first start of 6th edition, we got the Ravening Hordes booklet. And for some reason when I discuss Tomb Kings, I always have to think back to Ravening Hordes. And the reason for that is because uh, at, when I was just starting, or maybe I hadn't even started Warhammer yet, I saw someone with an undead army playing with the Tomb Kings list. They explained a little bit about the uh, uh, the Tomb Kings magic with the different scrolls that we talked about in another episode. And I also saw there on the table those lovely bone chariots. And it, when Tomb Kings was released for 6th edition, I started collecting and playing that army. So I do have my Tomb King's Chariots, but these are the later edition ones, the ones that we that are in the picture we discussed. Uh, I did not, until a few months ago, own any of the older Skeleton Chariots. I now have eight of them. I still need to uh, clean them and, and fix them, uh, get their crew and steeds in order. 
but I do want to paint these up as well. Um, I probably won't be able to field them alongside my Tomb King's army because they just look so out of place and well otherwise I can just say these are from a different part of the country, different part of Neakara or welcome to think of it these might also be nice in those uh, Barrow Kings lists where you have like a Tomb Kings list that is more attuned to the um, to the old world to the well what you would usually call uh, the wet undead the vampire counts um, what later became the vampire counts sort of style and themes however in the ravening hordes we also get the tomb king's chariots these are a special unit a skeleton charioteer now costs 50 points per model the Chariot, Skeleton and Crew now have a split profile. The uh, Chariot has a strength and toughness of 4 and 3 wounds. The Skeleton Crew has Web Skill and Blister Skill 2, Strength of 3, Initiative 2, 1 Attack and a Leadership of 5. And the Skeleton Steed has a Movement of 8, Web Skill 2, Strength 3, Initiative 2 and 1 Attack as well. These can come in units of 2 to 5, so you have to have at least 2 of them. And one Skeleton Chariot um, has a 4 plus armor save. It's driven by one Skeleton Crew and drawn by 2 Skeleton Steeds. The crew can have a bow for 4 points or a spear for 1 point, And you can have sights on your Chariot for 15 points. These operate in units like Cavalry. Um, in total they are a little bit more costly, uh, they are not that much more costly if you give them sides, but the 6 edition sides only gave you plus 1. However, one important difference is that these chariots are not noted to have D3 impact hits. That would mean they get their regular D6 impact hits, I could find nothing in either the main rulebook or in the Ravening Hordes Tomb King special rules. That said, your Tomb King's Chariots only do D3 impact hits. So I think that the point increase uh, will make up for that. Let's move into 6th edition proper. The Skeleton Chariots in 6th edition change yet again in their rules. Now they have they follow the normal rules for chariots except that they have the entry that they are light chariots. Light chariots can be formed up into units of chariots and these follow the rules for fast cavalry. The chariots it says here cause d3 impact hits are oh, so we're back to d3 instead of d6. Light chariots have a unit strength of 3 per model, which goes up to 4 if ridden by a character. Regularly, your chariot would have the unit strength of, I believe it was the number of wounds, uh, or maybe it was 4 in general. For some reason, I, I have 4 in my head, but that might just be because I, in that era, mostly fielded orc boar chariots, and they have 4 wounds each. So it might be that a chariot has a unit strength of 4 and well, if you put a character in you get plus 1 for that. Tomb chariots have a, a little bit less unit strength. 
Night Chariots also offer less protection to characters. Normally when you shoot at a character in a chariot, you only hit the character on a 6. But in a, the case of a Tomb King's Chariot, that would be on a 5+. Plus. You also get plus 1 armor save as a character in a chariot instead of plus 2. We get a few rules here in the book about chariot units. They, just to clarify some things, they can rank up just like infantry and cavalry, so they do not move in a loose formation. A character model inside a unit will only benefit from lookout, sir, if the unit includes five or more rank and file chariots. Wounds on a chariot or unit champion do not carry over to the rank and file and vice versa, so you have to target the champion separately. Chairs can only be joined by characters that are also on a chariot and characters on a chariot may only join chariot units. Then uh, that makes sense. You don't want your tomb king in a block of tomb guard and uh, have the tomb king ride a chariot or something. And where that normal chariots are destroyed on with a uh, hit of strength 7 or more, if this happens in combat, the chariot is automatically destroyed and uh, all the wounds it has remaining count towards combat resolution. Skeleton chariots in this era cost you 40 points per model. You can take them in units of 3 to 12. They are drawn by two skeleton horses and they have a crew of two, a driver and a skeleton warrior. Your skeleton chariots have an armor save of 5+. Plus. The chariot itself has a strength 4, toughness 4 and 3 wounds. The skeleton manning the chariot has a web skill of 3, blister skill 2, strength of 3, Initiative 2, 1 attack and a leadership of 7. The champion has the same profile but with an extra attack. And your skeleton steed is just a regular skeleton horsey with a movement of 8, whip skill 2, strength of 3, initiative 2 and 1 attack. The skeleton driver, and this is where the difference comes in, you get an extra skeleton except that the extra skeleton you get is just there to drive the chariot. He is only armed with a hand weapon. The skeleton warrior however has a hand weapon, a spear and a bow. So you can make a single shooting attack per chariot and well remember if you play tomb kings then your shooting attacks from your chariot can happen even after they have moved. They always hit on a 5 plus anyway. You can upgrade one skeleton warrior to a musician for 10 points, one to a standard bear for 20 points and one to a champion for, uh, for also 20 points. And only one of these units can carry a magical standard worth up to 50 points. Skeleton chariots are core units if your army is led by a tomb king. However, if you do not have a Tomb King, they count as special units. There are in the 6th edition Tomb Kings book, before we move on to the 8th edition book, two magic items that pertain to your character in chariots. Tomb Kings and Tomb Princess can also get a chariot. You can buy these for them. 
the uh, tomb king can have a chariot for 45 points and he then displaces both of the crew and the tomb prince can have a chariot also for 45 points also displacing both of the crew the two items are both enchanted items and the first one is called the chariot of fire it costs 25 points and the wheels and sides of the mighty hero's chariot blaze with mystical flames. The character's chariot does d6 plus 1 impact hits rather than d3 and these are both magical and flaming attacks. The other one is 20 points, also an enchanted item, the icon of rulership, also character in chariot only. The hero's chariot carries a mighty totemic pole proclaiming his victories over the enemies of the Tomb Kings that pulses with an aura of greatness. You may take this item in addition to another item in the enchanted items list and your chariot has now plus one unit strength so the total unit strength will be five. This is very nice especially that you can take it together because then you can combine it with the chariot of fire I've done that a couple of times just for thematic purposes. I also modeled up a Tomb King in Chariot to have these items, the icon of rulership. I, um, well, I believe there is a banner included with that metal chariot kit. I made, I made this one all the way back when I first started out with Tomb King, so I can't exactly remember. But the uh, Chariot of Fire, the flames itself, I uh, made with the... Let's see, what did I do? I, I green stuffed some flames coming off the sides and the wheels. And I also did like flaming hoof beats. Um, and I used maybe some, some of those. I don't think it was the Lord of... With, with Lord of the Rings you have uh, with the Middle Earth miniatures. You have some of those um, grassy things that you can put in on the base with the horses. It looks something like that, but I don't think I used those. I think I maybe used some, some bits from the orcs and goblins. Maybe like some orc top knots or something like that. The uh, the, the hairdo uh, that you that you got with some of these. Uh, I, have to, I have to look at it and see if I can recognize the bits. Uh, there's probably uh, way fewer than there should be, but... Uh, yeah, it, um, uh, I, I didn't want to go for a bit of those uh, uh, Ghost Rider vibes. If you've seen that movie with Nicolas Cage where you have the uh, uh, the new Ghost Rider on the motorcycle with uh, who leaves a burning trail and then the old Ghost Rider on his horse who uh, leaves burning hoof prints. That was I was going for. I don't know if it really worked, but uh, well, it was fun making it. In 6th edition, you also have a character that rides a chariot, Cetra. I will discuss him a little bit later in the episode because uh, he also appears in 8th edition. And I also want to take a look at Arkan the Black who appears in both 4th and 8th edition, who also rides a chariot. For now, let's first go to 8th edition itself. Tomb Kings did not get an upgrade in 7th edition. Their 6th edition book was probably good enough. So in 8th edition, we get a new book. And this one has a little bit more lore on these skeleton chariots than the 6th edition one. 
because most of the lore that's in 6th edition is also here in 8th edition, I did not read out the 6th edition lore, but I will read out this one in 8th edition. The pride of a Tomb King's army is his charioteer legions. Their advance is heralded by a cloud of dust thrown high into the air as they drive across the sands. Moments later, units of these deadly machines crest the dunes, their wheels whirring as they careen towards their foe. The legions impact with bone-shattering force, wave after wave of chariots crushing bodies beneath heavy wheels as their undead crew lay about the disoriented foe with lethal effect. Nekara was the first great civilization of mankind and the place where men first used horse and chariot in battle. This was a great accomplishment, for horses had only recently been bred as beasts of war, but it was considered undignified for those of noble blood to touch such a lowly brood, let alone ride them. However, with the invention of the chariot, the ruling classes of Neokara could take to battle with the speed of a stallion. The ancient armies of Neokara included vast forces of swift chariots and each carried an arsenal of weaponry. To fight from such an armored platform was thought to be the height of civilized warfare. As such, only royalty and nobility were permitted to fight in the chariots. As befitted their status, charioteers were bedecked in fine armor, precious metals and valuable jewels. Their chariots were created by skilled artisans, often gilded in gold and covered with images of skulls, bones and other symbols of the mortuary cult. The fighting quality of the king's charioteers was a reflection of his own power and martial prowess. As such, the king entrusted the training of these regiments to the master of chariots. These scarred warriors were typically a minor blood relation to the royal family, such as a cousin, and thus had the aristocracy, aristocratic superiority to back up his years of fighting experience. The master of chariots was a ruthless disciplinarian, and under his command, the noble-born charioteers were drilled until they were elite warriors fit to fight in the king's name. They would ride into battle, fierce and proud, the legion's standard carried high as they bore down upon their foes. Ever since their invention, chariots have been the chosen means of transport for the kings of Neokara. Upon awakening from their deadly slumbers, tomb kings have continued to lead their armies to war from atop these ancient machines. Not only does a chariot have an armored carriage to protect him from harm as he slays his foes with every sweep of his enchanted blade, it also provides him an elevated platform. This grants the undead monarch a superior view of the battlefield, enabling a tomb king to better witness the movements of enemy formations and direct his own troops to inflict the most damage. Squadrons of chariots were entombed beside the pyramids of the tomb kings of Nerkara, ready to serve their lords upon their awakening and trample over their enemies as they had done in his mortal reign. The mere sight of skeleton chariots arrayed for war and riding to battle is enough to strike fear in the hearts of all who oppose them. As the chariots rumble towards their quaking foe, slowly gathering speed until they are ready to charge, that fear turns to outright panic as the pride of Neokara crashes into them and the slaughter begins. 
In 8th edition, chariots have the troop type chariots. They have a 5 plus armor save. They have the special rules Arrows of Asaf and Nehekaran Undead, which are general Tomb King special rules. They also have the special rule Chariot Legions. A rank of skeleton chariots only needs 3 models to count for rank bonus. In addition, skeleton chariots add their rank bonus to the strength of impact hits that they inflict. Which is uh, very nice, it's uh, a bit like the ogres. So now it is uh, profitable to have a, a chariot bus, uh, a, a very narrow and a deep unit of chariots. They also have another special rule which is called Andy Tomb King's Road to War. Characters in a Tomb King's army that have a chariot, including Cetra the Imperishable's Chariot of the Gods, can join a unit of skeleton chariots. They can remain with the unit even if their mount is destroyed, but if they are subsequently if they subsequently leave the unit whilst on foot, they may not be able to rejoin it again or to join with another unit of skeleton chariots. Skeleton chariots in the 8th edition army book are listed under uh, well where have I got it? Here we are. They are listed under core units. They cost 55 points per model. Your Skeleton Chariot still is Strength 4, Toughness 4 and 3 Wounds. The Skeleton Charioteer is now just a little bit better. He has a weapon skill of 3 instead of the regular 2. Still a Blitz skill of 3, Strength of 3, Initiative 2, 2 attacks and a Leadership of 7. So this time the Skeleton Chariots are bumped up, the crew is a little bit bumped up. To show that he is one of the elite warriors, almost on par with the Tomb Guards, I believe, who have a also a web skill of three. Um, oh no, they have st higher strength and toughness, but not more attacks in this edition. Skeleton Charioteers, you can also have a Master of Chariots, which is the name for the champion. He has uh, the same profile, but with an extra attack, bumping him up to 3 attacks. And these Skeleton Steeds are just your same old regular Skeleton cheat Steeds. Movement 8, Web Skill 2, Strength 3, Initiative 2 and 1 attack. Skeleton chariots have a unit size of 3 plus, no maximum anymore like a 6th edition. The crew is now 2 skeleton charioteers, so you have 4 attacks in hand-to-hand -hand combat and both of them can shoot because the crew are equipped with a hand weapon, a bow and a spear. You can have a master of chariots for 10 points, you can have a musician for 10 points and you can have a standard bear for 10 points. One standard bear may have a magic standard worth up to 25 points. A little bit less than it was in 6th edition unfortunately. What was also unfortunate is that between 6th and 8th edition the Tomb Kings lost a lot of their army specific magic items including the ones that pertain to chariots. So unfortunately we can't discuss those. There are however a few chariots that we can still discuss which are the ones ridden by these special characters. In 6th edition we see Cetra. In 4th edition we also see Cetra, but in 4th edition, uh, for some reason, he is not allowed to take a chariot. 
He is allowed to ride on a skeleton steed, but I don't think anybody ever modeled him that way. Saturday Imperishable in 6th edition is uh, well above such things and rides in his own chariot. The chariot is uh, called the Chariot of the Gods. I'm not going to take a look at Cetra. Nathan did that when he had his mummy episode. But the chariot is, um, since that's the theme of this episode, is worth discussing for a bit. Cetra's chariot in 6th edition follows all the rules for a normal sighted chariot, i.e. it is not a light chariot. So it does d6 plus 1 impact hits. Cetra may only join a chariot unit whilst mounted. And if he does so, the unit no longer counts as fast cavalry. Cetra himself has a unit strength of 2 and his chariot has a unit strength of 6. So that gives him 8 in total. Uh, he alone can break small units just on unit strength apparently. Cetra has a chariot that is drawn by four horses and uh, that's the same in 6th edition as it is in 8th edition. In 8th edition, Cetra's Chariot of the Gods is counted as an enchanted item. Cetra rides a sided chariot drawn by four skeletal steeds. Its profile can be found above, which is Strength 5, Toughness 5 and 5 Wounds. Impact hits from the Chariot of the Gods are magical attacks that have the Flaming Attacks special rule and the Chariot of the Gods has an armor save of 4+. The Mighty Chariot, um, this is uh, the bit of flavor text that I forgot to read out. The Mighty Chariot carries with it the blessings of all the gods and goddesses of Nekara and its wheels blaze with mystical flame. And before you ask, no, I did not make this chariot flaming as well, even though I painted up Cetra's chariot uh, well after the 8th edition book had been released. It's nice to see that the uh, Chariot of Fire special rules have been introduced here as a special item, although... Um, yeah, it's also a bit weird to see that this is no longer an item that just any Tomb King can take. Cetra, like I mentioned, has a chariot drawn by four steeds, and the same is true for Arkan the Black. Arkan in 4th edition and in 8th edition we find his profile. He might also be in 6th edition, but I'm not sure if he ever got a White Dwarf profile. I'm not too well versed on what is and what isn't in all the White Dwarfs. I should maybe just take up my collection and look through them. But well, there are so many things I would like to do and so little time to do it all in. Arkan the Black's Chariot in 4th edition is a uh, very nice item. The Chariot, contrary to any other Chariot, has his own weapon skill. It has a weapon skill of 4. This Chariot has a strength of 6 and a toughness of 6. 3 wounds, Arkan himself having 4 wounds. And the Chariot does d6 attacks. Now there are some special rules that are pertaining to Arkan's Chariot. Arkan's Chariot is very special even by the unholy standards of the chariots used by undead armies. 
It is made from the carcass of a slain manticore and has a special profile which is higher than the profile of a normal undead chariot. The yoke of the chariot is fitted with two sides which add plus two to the number of hits the chariot inflicts when it charges into combat, so does d6 plus two impact hits. In addition, the head of the manticore is part of the yoke and snaps and bites when the chariot is in combat. To represent this, the head is allowed to make one attack in hand-to-hand -hand combat with weapon skill 4 and strength 6. This attack is in addition to the d6 hits the chariot causes when it charges into combat. And Arkan's chariot is outfitted with wings so it can fly. The chariot that Arkan has is also pulled by uh, four horses. I'm. It doesn't say so here in the rules, at least not that I could find, I guess. But um, yeah, there are four horses on the uh, on the model, four horses in the in the artwork as well, and. You can also have Arkan the Black in 8th edition. He also can ride a chariot, but this is just a normal chariot that he can ride. It is not even listed in his regular uh, profile. If you want to find the chariot, you have to go to the army list where Arkan is uh, uh, noted with the lords. Contrary to, for example, Cetra, who is uh, just a, a regular cost for the entire character chariot and all, Arkan the Black has a separate cost for his chariot. You can give him a chariot for 55 points, just like you could for a regular Tomb King. The chariot can have two additional steeds for 15 points. And you can upgrade the chariot to have the fly special rule. So you can still have that very characterful 4th edition model of Ark and the Black on chariot in your 8th edition armies. And I can highly recommend that. It's a very nice model. I'm very happy that I have it in my collection. Um, I know that uh, some people here have been also on the lookout for me. Uh, because I mentioned at some point that I still needed this chariot. I have it now. I haven't undertaken the massive task of painting it up yet. But, uh, well, like all things, uh, let's hope we get time for that in the future. The one thing I want to say before we end this episode is that I find it a bit of a shame that we cannot use Arkan's chariot or Cetra's chariot in a regular Tomb King's army. Because there is no way you can give your Tomb Kings a chariot that is drawn by four steeds. I would have loved it if they could just include the option that you can have a, a skeleton chariot that can have a couple of extra steeds Maybe also for 15 points, just like Arkan's Chariot. I think maybe you can even house rule it in. But it's, uh, yeah, I'm a bit disappointed that it's not included. Because now you can only use those great, wonderful models if you feel them as special characters. And a lot of people are a little bit averse to fielding special characters, especially in regular battles. A little bit less so in narrative campaigns. But in regular battles, they are either overpowered or uh, underperforming 
and I think that's uh, that's too bad that we cannot use these regular chariots. Now I want to do something a little bit different. I wanted to read out a a little bit of a uh, fluff story about skeleton chariots at this point. However, in the Tomb Kings army books and in the Undead army books, I could find none such stories. So what I did was I wrote one. And um, this is going to be a little bit... Uh, going to be a little bit nervous about this because... Uh, I wrote this story, I never let anyone read it before, I just wrote it this morning and I am just uh, going to put it out here. So I am curious if you like this, if you want maybe more of this or if you say, well, please follow some writing classes and then come back to us. Uh, it's all valid criticism, so... Um, yeah, maybe even uh, if you say, well, we don't want any fan fiction that's not in the books or maybe if you write want to want to write fan fiction yourself i don't know how this uh, works or will play out i did have some fun writing and researching it so i'm just going to put it out here uh, i might be nervous for nothing and then again i might be nervous for many reasons the story is called as in life so in death Slowly and stately, steering with the merest motion of the reins in his hand, Katouf drove his chariot along the wide avenue that led towards the extensive necropolis of mighty Camry. Left and right, enormous statues of the Nerkaran gods looked down on the funerary procession. Jekyll-headed Jaff, the Asp goddess Asaf, Ptra, god of the sun, only Usirian, the god of the underworld, was missing. Depicting him as a sacrilege, but Katuf knew he would meet him soon enough. He was ready. The procession they had expected was an entirely different one. Prince Ranutap, the fifth son of Rakaf III, King of Camry, Lord of the Sands, and many more titles besides, had led his army to repel the desert raiders that had been harassing, harassing trade caravans. The campaign was successful, the raiders had been all but destroyed, but the cost had been great. Prince Ranaptap himself had taken a spear to the chest, and he was dead before the battle was over. The army had been distraught at the loss of their leader. Ranaptap was a fierce warrior and skillful commander, much beloved by his soldiers. More so than many of his siblings, some of them left, felt no need to even leave the palace grounds. Renatep was a man of the people. The elite people, at least. He was often seen drinking and gambling in the better and more expensive establishments that were frequented by the sons of lesser nobles, of which Katouf was one. When he was not drinking, Renatep could be seen driving his chariot around the training grounds or honing his combat skills, often sparring against several opponents at once. All his hard work had paid off, because Ranutep had undertaken many campaigns and fought many battles, always emerging the victor. Ranutep seemed to radiate Ptra's life force and Jaff's strength. He seemed invincible. It ever came as a shock to Katuf to see his general fall. Time itself had seemed to hold its breath when 
cloth-wrapped Desert Raider on Camelback drove his barbed spear into the prince's gleaming torso. Renatep sank through his legs and lay still on the floor of his gilded chariot. Enraged, Katuf yanked on the range and steered the chariot towards the camel rider. Tofap, the other occupant of Katuf's chariot, shot the desert raider with his bow only a moment before half a dozen other arrows pierced him. Katuf's chariot slammed into the dying rider's camel, goring the unlucky beast and trampling it underfoot. An eternity of torture in the underworld would be too good a fate for that cur, Katuf thought with gritted teeth as the funerary procession slowly made its way towards King Rakaf's pyramid. Upon the return to Camry, preparations were made for the funeral of Ranutep and those of his warriors that had fallen in battle. Efforts were redoubled to finish Prince Ranutep's tomb inside his father's pyramid, the building and decorating of which had started immediately after the prince was born. Seventy days the embalming process took, and for seventy days Camry was mourning the death of their beloved son. The procession reached the pyramid. Solemnly, a dozen priests of the mortuary cult carried Ranatep's casket inside towards a newly finished room. A host of concubines and servants followed. Unlike the priests, they would not return. Katuf's fate was different. He would not be interred inside the looming stone pyramid, but rather in a nearby pit, together with chariots, cavalry, footmen and archers that made up Prince Ranatep's retinue. Katuf briefly felt Tofab's hand on his shoulder as he turned the chariot to follow the rest of the procession to the pits. Tofab knew his fate, but still felt anxious. Not so Katuf. He had fully accepted he was going to die the moment he joined the charioteer's court. He would serve his prince in death as he had in life. The pit loomed ahead. One at a time, Prince Ranatep's regiments lined up. The chariots were first, they needed the most room maneuvering. Then the cavalry, and finally the infantry. The men were silent, stoic, their horses restless. They would not accept their fate as easily as the men, so the mortuary priests overseeing the pit had prepared a special concoction that was administered to each horse in turn. When it was Katuf's chariot's turn, he saw the nervousness leave his horse's bodies. They just stood there, frozen in place, seemingly unaware of what was happening around them. Next, the fallen warriors were laid in the pit, wrapped in linen and already dried out by the Cambrian sun and the desert sands. Prayers were said, incantations muttered, spells chanted, and then finally an army of workers started shoveling sand in the pit. Katuf was near the center, and standing on his chariot, he and the other charioteers would be among the last to be buried. Ptofab shifted uneasily behind him, for, for him it would be best if the wait was over. Katuf also felt the scabs fluttering around his stomach, not for fear, but for excitement. Today was the culmination of all that he had lived for, the beginning of his eternal life of service to his prince. As in life, so in death. Slowly the sand was heaping up around the horse's legs and chariot wheels. The Nekaran sun burned fiercely, but Katu failed to notice it. 
Many of the other soldiers had already disappeared under the sand as the laborers worked their way inwards. Sometimes the sand shifted as one of the men convulsed in his death throes, but all kept their silence. None were as strong-willed as the warriors of mighty Camry. The workers got closer, walking over the heads of those that had already been buried alive in the standing positions. The chariot's horses had already disappeared beneath the sands, oblivious to their fate. The sand now enveloped Ketuv's legs and lower torso. He felt it pressing against his skin, cool under the fiery gaze of Petra. As the pit filled up and the sand pressed in against his chest, breathing became more difficult. With each exhale, the sand drew in closer, preventing his lungs from expanding to their former capacity. Katuf was still alive when his mouth and nose got covered. His body yearned for air, but all it got was dust. Katuf felt his muscles twitch, but they could not move his limbs against the pressure of the eternal desert. His lungs burned. Another shovel of sand and his eyes and ears were covered. Katuf felt the rushing of his own blood. His eyes saw only blackness, a blackness that expanded beyond the eyes and embraced the soul. As in life, so in death. Katuf stirred. He felt nothing. But he was aware. Aware of a call, his master's call, a call he could not ignore even if he wanted to. All he saw was blackness, but that didn't matter. He knew where he was and where he needed to go. With just his own will, he spurred his horses into action. The chariot burst free from the funerary pits, along with the others of Katuf's squadron. The flesh and skin of Katuf, Tofab, and the horses had long gone. Ahead, to his left and right, skeletal forms branching spears, shields, curved swords and bows struggled out of the desert sand more slowly. The call was gone. Gamry looked different, older, much older. There were more pyramids than Katuf remembered. A giant black one now dominated the necropolis. Katuf knew it was its owner that had called him from his eternal slumber. But for some reason, the calling had stopped. Then he felt a new and yet strangely familiar call. The call of his prince. Together with all that had been awoken, Katuf set out towards the pyramid of King Rakaf and Prince Ranutep. They stood at the entrance, flanked by the now immortal lich priests. Out of the megalithic tomb, Ranutep's magnificent gilded chariot came pulled forward by two skeletal horses. Was this the afterlife? It didn't matter. What mattered was that the prin- was the prince's will. Without words, Ranotep mounted his chariot and led the army towards a nearby pyramid. It seemed more kings had been awoken from their eternal slumber. Katuf knew what this meant. Camry was only big enough for one king and it was Ranatep's task to make sure that king would be Rakaf III. The reins of Katuf's chariot had long since decayed, but he didn't need them. When Ranatep's chariot pulled out, so did Katuf's, along with the rest of the army. Ranatep would lead them to victory once more, and then to another one, and another one after that. As in life, so in death. 
that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed that. Please, if you do, um, let us know. Just uh, spread the word. We have some socials that you can follow us on. And Nathan will mention that in, uh, in a bit in the outro. What is not in the outro is that we also have a, a Patreon page. If you want to support the podcast, you can do that for as little as one euro or one dollar or one pound or whatever the currency is per month. Um, we will have some bonus content on there. We have some lovely episodes that a series that Nathan is doing now where he is taking a look at all the different aspects of the army books. He's going to rate them starting with the fourth edition army books. Uh, rating them for example giving them a score for the artwork for the um the rules the lore things like that uh, probably forgetting a couple here uh, check those out if you haven't already in the meantime i wish you all a, a very nice week and i hope to see you again next time Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. Know ye now, the time of mortals has come to an end.